It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Well, hello there and welcome once again to Make the Dough Rise. Walter Storholt here alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors. Find us online at livingworth.com. Brian, great to be with you once again. How are you this week, sir? Doing great, Walter. How about you? I am well and looking forward to our conversation today, Brian. We're going to have a lot to dive into on today's show. We're talking about one of those really popular topics in the financial and uh, retirement planning world, good old Social Security. And and we're going to include some history lessons on today's show, too, right? Yeah, yeah. We're uh, it, It's a popular topic, obviously. Uh, every It impacts you know pretty much everyone. So uh, I hear a lot of comments, get a lot of questions about it, and uh, I hear a lot of concern about it as well. So I would like to maybe address the bulk of those topics today. Well, as we dive in, I know that, you know, the majority of your clients, certainly we need to define, you know, the impact of Social Security here. We're, majority of your clients aren't going to rely on Social Security as the crux of their retirement, but it still plays a big part, right? Well, Social Security acts, you know, very much like a pension and that someone else is responsible for sending you a monthly check. It provides you a very nice hedge against longevity. You know, you, you can't run out or, you know, mismanage pensions or if, if they're mismanaged, it's someone else's problem. And in, in this case, the federal government has the ability to print the money to make the payments. So, it, it is actually, you know, I, I think mo- most people do rely on it. And those who have a good combination of social security and pensions for reliable income where they're not having to take the, the risks and, and manage the portfolio and, and assume all the issues that come along with it. Now, I think it makes people feel a lot better and, and more relaxed about retirement. So I wouldn't say that it is the sole pillar of most of my clients' retirement income strategy, but it definitely factors in. I, I've yet to see anybody decline taking their social security benefit. Yeah, not, not something we're going to leave sitting on the table, certainly. That's a great point and a good takeaway, right. Brian. Not going not gonna to see that anytime soon. Yeah, just give that back. We, we don't want or, or need that additional. Yeah, I'm fine. I've got money. plenty here. Yeah. Just go ahead and keep that. That's right. Not uh, part of the goal of uh, today's show, nor is it of any financial plan that you're putting together, I would imagine. So uh, let, let's tackle the problems then. Social Security uh, put in place many years ago now. Uh, it's been evolving over the course of um, you know time to our current and present Social Security situation. And there's been a lot in the news about will Social Security survive? When will it run out? What will the changes that will come to Social Security Take us inside the 30-foot thousand view of all that we need to kind of understand about Social Security on today's show. Well, yeah, I think economic security is is really the big issue and, and what drives this. And just to you know, go way back in history, in uh, ancient Greek, they actually used olive oil uh, evidently as a form of economic security or savings. They would stockpile and, and, and save olive oil. And uh, even going over to medieval Europe, you know, the, you know, the, a feudal system where the, the feudal lord was the person who took care of the, the serfs, the workers. And it, interestingly, too, you, you had to have a large birth rate, uh, kind of a growing population to make these systems work. And we'll, we'll come back to that as it relates to, to Social Security. But 
you know, through the ages, we've always wrestled with how do we have enough savings or uh, stockpiles to take care of us in old age and whether that's, uh, if you go to India, people stockpile jewelry. A lot of these women up under their wardrobe will have bands of you know, gold bracelets and, and necklaces. And that, that is how they did retirement savings. And of course, relying on family members and particularly large families to take care of them in old age. Well, when we got into the Industrial Revolution and you know, families were going to work more for companies and corporations and factory type jobs, you know, moving off of, off of the farms and the land, elder poverty actually became a, a really big issue. You know, we were not a, a, as rich of a nation as we are today, but the big problem that we faced as we industrialized, you know, part of it was unionization and fair wages and worker protections and all those things. But elder poverty was a huge problem. And so back in the 40s, you know, FDR championed or, or, or put together the social security program that we all have come to know and love today. And like the past, uh, this is still a very big form of, of economic security for the majority of Americans in, in retirement. And the interesting thing about it, too, is that it is actually one of the most popular government programs around. If you poll the average American, I think it gets, it consistently gets over a 65, uh, maybe even a 70% approval rating, you know, whether you're drawing social security or not, you know, people who are paying in, well, I mean, I have relatives and clients and friends who are collecting social security. And I know that as I've paid in, I've been promised a, a future benefit. And I think it's a really good social contract or program, if you will. But the big problem is it was developed at a time when uh, things were a little different, number of factors that uh, impact the funding and the, the, the sources of funding for it have all shifted. So that's, that's where a lot of the talk that you hear today comes from about the concerns for Social Security. But also why it is the third rail of politics. Nobody wants to really mess with it or rock the boat too much because it is so popular. Well, precisely. And, and to the point, you know, when people tell me, well, Social Security, I'm not counting on it. It's not going to be here. You know, I, I, I better hurry up and collect it before it runs out. It would be absolute political suicide to try to eliminate or cut the benefits of Social Security, which is leading to uh, a number of interesting attempts to try to fix it. Uh, nobody can come at it head on and say, hey, we want to dramatically raise taxes. Hey, we want to means test the benefits. Hey, we want to cut benefits. All of those are political suicide. So there's a lot of creative things that are taking place to help shore up Social Security. But one of the things I think that makes it so popular, again, is the fact that, you know, everyone that pays in, there is a formula for all of the dollars that you put in, you get a proportional benefit that you can predict in the future based on what you've paid in. So for the first, you know, uh, uh, 9000 or so dollars that you pay in, you get the most benefit. And then as you pay you know, additional dollars in, you get a declining benefit for the uh, 
amount that you pay in. But basically, if you pay in and if you pay in at the maximum rate, you're going to continue to get a, a, an increasing benefit when you actually retire. So the fact that it is, it, it is not specifically a wealth transfer program where we're going to tax one group of people and apply the benefit uh, to a different group of people. No, this is actually the people who pay in get the benefit. And you know, the, the benefit is proportionally skewed to those who pay the least amount in. They actually get the largest proportional benefit. But uh, again, the more you pay in, the, the larger the benefit that you get. And the ability to see a reciprocal benefit for what you get, I, I think, is a large part of what drives the, the popularity. Although we do have this popularity, it does still seem like some negative connotations get thrown in and around Social Security, maybe stemming from, you know, being called an entitlement program and those kinds of things. Usually some some bad connotations sometimes with that word in today's uh, society, in today's world. Right. Yeah, I I had to laugh. I was actually on Facebook uh, this weekend and I saw somebody who had posted something about how dare you call Social Security and an entitlement. I've paid in for that since I was, you know, I've been working since I was 16 years old. And, you know, they, they felt very adamant that they had earned that benefit. And that's true. That, that's, that's largely true. So I think the, the fact that it's called an entitlement program is because you have paid a benefit or you've, you've paid in for this benefit and you are entitled to a benefit. Same with Medicare. And I think the entitlement gets a bad connotation with maybe the millennials who often uh, are accused of, of, of acting somewhat entitled to certain benefits that maybe they haven't earned. So that's, that's the negative connotation to the word entitlement. But in the case of Social Security and Medicare, these are entitlement programs because you have paid in to them and you are entitled to a benefit. And largely, they're programs that can't be cut, so they become a very fixed part of the federal budget. But like the word or not, maybe they should call it uh, an earned program instead of an entitlement program. Earned program. I like that. Uh, we'll, we'll throw down the bank of suggestions for fixing and improving Social Security. Just, just add that's it to the list. The, what, what you call it is not going to change or fix it. That's just marketing and PR. That's true. That's true. Well, let's talk about the problems then. Um, you know, this thing that everybody seems to, to like and think is and was a good idea at the same time has so many people admitting it's broken, needs to be fixed. Uh, is going to just get more and more broken if we don't do something about it. So what what has changed? Why is it broken? Can we look back through history and kind of trace some of the problems and changes that have led us to where we are today? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think that the changes, once you lay them out, they'll make, make perfect sense. But if we just roll the tapes back a little bit and, and go back in, in history and time to when Social Security was founded and, and established, it actually was set up perfectly fine. It it was designed for the time. And if you look at the official title for Social Security, it is actually Old Age and Survivor's Disability Insurance, O-A-S-D-I. That's that's the acronym that that, that you'll see. And so it really was a insurance for old age and survivors. 
Well, let's think about it. When it was set up, there were 42 people paying in for every single person that received a benefit. And at the time, you got to draw or you were not able to draw a benefit until you were 65. Okay. Well, at the time, life expectancy, care to take a guess, Walter? What was life expectancy? It was right around 65, right? No, it was 62. Oh, even even less. Wow. Even lower. So you were never supposed to get it. So it really was just a backstop for worst case scenario, not worst case scenario, but the scenario where you're really truly outliving your expected life. That's that's kind of the basis of what Social Security started as, not as a retirement funding tool, but as a, hey, you live too long, so you need some extra money. Here you go. (laughs) Elder poverty. I mean, it it truly was just there for old age uh, survivors. And, And think about it. We were working on farms or in factories and a lot more manual labor. We didn't have all these cushy desk jobs to sit around and uh, people were unable you know, to work as, as their health deteriorated. And so we needed something to take care of those who actually were survivors. Well, now fast forward today, that 42 to one ratio of people paying in to every beneficiary is down to three to one. So we literally have three people paying in for every recipient of a social security benefit. Significant drop. Yeah. So instead of this being spread out in a small amount over a large group of the population, you're you're down to having just a few people funding each recipient's benefit. That's like what, and, a 93% drop or something like that, if my yeah, math yeah. is correct. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy. So uh, then add on top of that, you know, well, well, life expectancy is not 62 anymore. We're, we're pushing 80 for life expectancy. And if you actually look at joint life expectancies, you know, so the husband and a, a spouse, their combined life expectancy is likely to be in excess of 80. And a surviving spouse will be able to take over the, if you had one spouse who was the predominant income earner and qualified for the benefit, well, the surviving spouse gets to maintain that benefit. So you really have to look at this as a joint life expectancy number. And we've gone from an age where you were not supposed to get social security unless you were truly old aged and and survivor to now we can actually begin social security at age 62. You can start it early if you like. So not only can you start it early, but then we're living much, much longer. And instead of a lot of people paying in for a benefit for a short period of time, we have very few people paying in for people to draw on this for decades. And I don't think you have to be a PhD in mathematics to understand that that is going to cause a considerable strain just from the fundamental design from from the get-go on the ability to pay Social Security benefits. And just in the past year, we kind of crossed a uh, significant threshold, right? Well, yeah. So 2019, the threshold that we crossed came a little bit sooner than they predicted. They thought in 2020, we would actually cross the point where we had less money coming in for Social Security through FICA taxes than we had going out. Well, we actually beat that projection by a year and we crossed that threshold last year. 
So in 2019, we are officially at a point where we're paying more benefits out than we have coming in. And Social Security has always been a pay-as-you-go system where, you know, the people paying in today were paying for the benefits and then the people paying in tomorrow are going to pay our benefits. There's never really been a savings or a trust fund. And I don't know if you remember, you have to go way, way back, but Social Security used to send out a letter that said, oh, this money's being set aside in a trust fund for you. And and actually it wasn't, it was being raided and and spent by Congress. They had to do two things. They had to change the wording on how they described Social Security, but then they also actually carved out a $3 trillion trust fund to help prop up and fortify Social Security. So we have this $3 trillion trust fund that we're beginning to draw on now that we have less money coming in. We're going to begin drawing on this $3 trillion trust fund, which is projected to run out of money somewhere around 2030 to maybe 2035. And at that point, it is projected that we will only have 75% of the money needed for benefits actually coming in from payroll taxes. And we can talk about that in just a minute. But um, anyway, that's, that's where we are today is you know, we have payroll taxes coming in. We have this uh, you know, $3 trillion trust fund. But what has been the big shift and is, was never accounted for when they set up and, and originally established Social Security was this demographic trend. See, Social Security worked really well when the birth rate was high. Well, right after World War II, we had the baby boom generation. So we had all these new workers coming in, lots of new earners, lots of new people uh, paying in. And, and for years, that helped fund and fuel Social Security so that it could you know, continue to pay benefits and, and survive. Well, today, all of those baby boomers are moving into retirement. They're claiming Social Security earlier. They're living much, much longer. They're, they're claiming it for decades. And the boomers had, I think the number is something like 23 million fewer children than they were population strong. So you've got this population bubble moving in to draw on the program at the same time that you've, you've got a bust of workers who are paying into the system. And so that, this, this is the real you know, treacherous road ahead for Social Security. And in fact, uh, if you go back, I forget exactly when it was, but uh, Rick Perry was the governor of Texas. He compared Social Security, or actually called Social Security, a Ponzi scheme. And a little, a little dramatic, maybe. Well, a little dramatic, but uh, and well, let's let's go with dramatic, yeah, because that's it's not a Ponzi scheme in the traditional sense where it's an uh, earned program. It's an earned program. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but think about it now. So go, go back and look at how a Ponzi scheme works. You start with some initial investors who are promised a a good return. Well, the first people who paid into Social Security paid very little in, and then if they collected the benefit, they actually were the biggest beneficiaries uh, proportionally for Social Security because they paid the least in and they got the most out. Well, today we're seeing payroll taxes increase and, and go up, and 
we're paying more and more in, but the uh, ability to, to keep these payments up is going to be dwarfed because of the demographic boom, one of you know the baby boomers living longer and moving into retirement, and then the uh, shortage of payees. Well, that's exactly what happens with a Ponzi scheme. You pay early investors with subsequent investors, investors' money coming in. And typically, a true Ponzi scheme promises an excessively large rate of return. That, that's how they get a lot of suckers to uh, agree to put money in. And early on, with very few initial investors and you, coming into the program, and then you've got more coming behind them, you can pay those first investors out in a big way, and it makes it look like your scheme is legitimate. Well, we all know that in time, these things unravel and collapse because they just, one, they weren't based on anything sound to begin with, and the, the system gets found out and collapses. Well, with Social Security, that's, some of those elements are actually true. We had more people paying in. We had the, the earliest investors got the biggest return on their investment. And today, we're paying more and more in Social Security taxes and the benefit that is accruing is actually shrinking. I always joke with my clients. I say, oh, uh, or maybe not clients, or at, at a seminar, I'll, I, I might joke around and say, so now everyone got a uh, 8% increase in Social Security this year, correct? And they all look at me with like I just landed from Mars. And of course not. They got a maybe a 0.3% increase in their social security payment. <laughs> well, what happened was, is they, they're lifting the cap on wages that you have to pay social security tax on. And there was one particular year where that, that amount went up by 8%, but then they tweaked the cost of living adjustment number uh, for the beneficiaries and they got a, a fraction of a percent. So the, these are some of the things that they're doing to fix social security. And in our analogy of a Ponzi scheme, well, the federal government actually has the ability to print the money to pay the benefit. They have the ability to go out and raise taxes to you know, increase revenue to pay the benefit. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the top of the pyramid is getting bigger and the bottom of the pyramid is getting smaller. And in that regard, they're are some legitimate comparisons to a Ponzi scheme. And if they don't do some things to correct that balance, you know, we, we, we do have the risks that I mentioned earlier. It does sound like what you're saying, though, is that Social Security, there are a lot of different ways they can toy with it, that they can mess with it, that they can extend it a little bit. So the fact that that trust fund you talked about runs out in, you know, now just 15 years or less, um, you know, isn't as concerning. Maybe it's not that dire. Social Security is not going to up and evaporate. They can continue to try and extend things a little bit. So maybe it's not the not the I don't know this this major elephant in the room that everybody thinks it is. Uh, but at the same time, there are some things that need to be done to address it and to fix it. And we we're going to see a lot more tinkering in the future. Is that what I'm kind of picking up on? Yeah. So again, in trying to cut benefits is political suicide. So what, I always tell people one of three things has to happen. They're either going to have to dramatically cut benefits, they're going to have to dramatically increase taxes, or maybe somehow Elon Musk is going to invent artificial intelligent robots that are going to propel us to a uh, level of, of 
productivity and prosperity that we've, we've never imagined. So I say, don't bank on that last one. Don't bet on them dramatically cutting benefits, again, because that's political suicide. But that middle option, dramatically increasing taxes, that's the one I have my money on. And that's the one I'm trying to get the word out and prepare people for. As Social Security continues to get strained, and Medicare, and Medicaid, and veterans benefits, and interest on the debt, all of those things compound. And uh, to me, it just spells higher taxes. So it may not be so much that uh, we're now getting into a different realm. So now we were talking about how Social Security gets greatly impacted all on its own and what that does to a retiree or a pre-retiree. But I see now where your angling is. It's really what Social Security does and how it affects all the rest of our savings and investments and retirement plans. So it's not so much, oh, here's what happens to Social Security, but it's the greater picture of if this happens to Social Security, here are the, uh, the ripples then how they affect the rest of the financial plan. Yeah. So here's, here's some practical advice or, or you know, taking a look at who's going to be impacted the most. You know, so for retirees, depending on your date of birth and what claiming strategies are available to you, there, there's been some fairly dramatic changes or really the elimination of some claiming strategies that were once available that allowed couples with you know, multiple benefit options and, and claiming strategies who could afford to wait to collect their benefit. Well, a lot of those were just eliminated. Stroke of a pen, gone. One thing that we'll probably need to see is the age to claim Social Security uh, needs to continue to increase. People are living longer, they're working longer, uh, so it's possible they could increase the claiming age uh, that, that you could begin Social Security benefits. Now, the one big tell, if you go back in history, and this would have been, uh, I guess, early, early to mid-80s, Social Security was actually on the brink of bankruptcy. They were two weeks away from being unable to issue checks. So we've been here before, and it took a absolute funding crisis to get them to act. But at the time, and this was Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, what they agreed to, their great compromise, was that they would, they would not cut Social Security benefits, but they would make them taxable above a certain income number. Well, that income number at the time was you know, in the thirty dollars to $40,000 range. And so maybe in the early 80s, that was a, a respectable income number. But anymore, just about anybody is crossing that threshold. And so what it did was, again, they didn't cut benefits. But by making it taxable above a certain income threshold, what is that without actually calling it it's by ta- name? Tax increase, right? It's a, it's a tax increase or it's means testing. So I don't know if you've ever applied for uh, college financial aid or sure. uh, any of these programs where they have means tested aid or means tested scholarships or they might call it need based scholarships, right. and if you've saved, you've got a lot of money, parents have a lot of income, you have the means. You, you, you don't qualify for that type of aid because you have too much income, you have too much savings, you have too much money. Well, by making social security benefits taxable above a certain income threshold, that effectively means tests social security. So if you look to the past at what they have done 
and what the solution was was back in the 80s. You know, I, I don't see any indication that they're going to just absolutely do away with Social Security benefits. If you've got, you know, a couple million dollars in savings, you've got a pension fund, you've got annuity, whatever it is, I, I don't think they're going to just stop the benefit, but they could make it 100% taxable. They could make it taxed at a higher rate. There, there's any number of things that they could do uh, to tinker with the actual taxability of your benefit, which if, you know, again, if you give a benefit and then tax it, it it's the same thing as a reduction. Just moving dollars around is what a lot of that sounds like. Just it, it's a lot of swirl, yeah. A yeah. lot of swirl. I like that, yeah. So what, what's the solution? What, what's the, the action steps a retiree or uh, somebody approaching retirement should take? Or what you do for folks when they come into work with you and, and start walking through a financial plan and uncover some of these, you know, maybe weaknesses in the plan or, or some of these threats like increased taxes or the changing landscape to their plan? What are some steps we can take away from today's show? Well, uh, obviously, I've, number one thing is, I, I, and I want to reiterate this, don't panic. I don't think Social Security is is going away or, or going to vanish or or run out of money. They, they've got the ability to do the things that they need to do to, to make the payments. It, it just may be painful to people who are in their uh, peak earning years if they were to lift the cap on on social security wages, you know, like I think last year it was $132,800. You were taxed at 6.2%. Your employer paid 6.2%. And uh, there is some talk. I've seen proposals of raising that number to 7.4%. And then of course your uh, employer's share is 7.4. So if you are self-employed, you're, you're looking at, you know, 14.8%. Social Security tax on your first, you know, hundred, we'll call it one hundred thirty-two plus thousand dollars, and at the moment that number gets capped. I have also seen proposals out there that would lift the cap, and all wages would be subject to uh, Social Security taxes. Well, that might be a bit extreme, and so the the compromise plan I saw was that you know maybe at one thirty-two your your FICA taxes stop. And then up to two or three or four hundred thousand dollars, you would not pay FICA taxes. But then, if you're an ultra high earner above that, that cap could could very much go away. Now, if they do that, I'll be very curious to see how they calculate the benefit, because, like I said earlier, the amount that you pay into Social Security drives your benefit. So, if they lift this wage cap. Uh, the people who are making, you know, maybe millions of dollars, it's going to increase their social security benefit proportionally. So uh, what, what they're trying to solve by taxing the rich, uh, it would, the, the way the formula is written today would actually continue to boost their benefit. So I, I, again, I don't know how they're going to uh, reconcile those two factors. Most, I don't think most people have, have given it that much thought. But the big takeaway for people that are moving into retirement and wanting to claim Social Security is to integrate this with your IRA distribution strategies, your pension claiming strategies, if you're activating annuities, all of these things can intersect and, and overlap to create some real tax traps. So one thing, uh, and, and again, this may not apply to everybody, but one thing that you can do is actually delay claiming Social Security 
until 70. Every year you get an 8% increase in your, your benefit by delaying it. Now there's a break-even point to that and, and claiming it later means that you are not getting some benefit today, but you're turning that into a larger benefit tomorrow. You want to have longevity on your side. You want to make sure that uh, you know, you've got a, a valid reason for claiming later. But one of the big ones is the survivor benefit. Most people get too eager to quickly activate their social security benefit. They've now got this income coming in and then if they have portfolio and stock dividends, they've got a little bit of IRA distributions, they've got a little bit of a pension, automatically they've crossed the threshold where that benefit is taxable. So one thing that I've had some success with is getting people to start drawing on their IRAs earlier while they're in a low income tax bracket when they first retire, and then delay until age 70 when they actually begin claiming social security. And that does two things. It allows you to take some money out of IRAs at a lower tax bracket. It allows you to qualify for a higher social security benefit. And when you calculate what that does to your survivor income number, the benefit can be huge. So if you've got a spouse that uh, maybe had a lower earnings record or, or no earnings record, if they were staying home taking care of the kids, you actually leave a larger benefit for the surviving spouse. And then that joint life expectancy that I was talking about earlier, you can calculate the, the break-even or the payback by delaying Social Security for a a joint life expectancy. It's not just a single life expectancy calculation. So a lot of the conventional wisdom, a lot of the, the fear and, and scare talk that you hear out there about social security going away, you know, if you really back away and from the rhetoric or the the fear that, uh, or knee-jerk reaction that people have that, you know, oh, social security's running out of money, better, better hurry up and claim it before it's gone. Well, that can cause you tax problems that can reduce your survivor income amount uh, in the future. And so there's a lot of good reasons that if you've got good savings, you've got a combination of brokerage accounts, retirement, IRAs, if you've done some Roths, if you've got a good social security benefit, coordinating the claiming strategy with your other assets and your spouse and, and getting that mix correct can go a long way to getting you know the maximum for you out of social security and uh, keeping the tax bite to a minimum. It's such an important discussion to have with your advisor. How is social security going to play a role in your financial and retirement plan, both what you're getting and also the possible changes to social security down the line, what they might do to taxes and how you're positioned and prepared to handle those adjustments and changes as time goes on. It's interesting to look at all those different moving parts, but also comforting to know that there are some solutions and steps we can take to limit our exposure to some of the negatives that might come along with the changes to Social Security in the future. If you want to get some more details and information about some of the things that we've talked about on the show today, a couple of resources and steps for you to take. Uh, We're going to put all of this information, by the way, in the description of today's show so you can access it easily. But if you go to retirementrescue.net, you can read uh, uh, the book and actually pick up a couple of additional resources as well. But the book that Brian has written is Diffuse, Seven Steps Protecting Your 401k from the Ticking Tax Time 
Rosenbaum and elaborates on some of the things that we talked about today, plus much more information in there as well. You can get the book. It's part of a toolkit that teaches you all about the beginning steps of planning for retirement with lots of great resources and information. Again, just go to retirementrescue.net and you can get that right now. You can, of course, always find us on makethedoughrise.com and listen to past episodes of the podcast and find subscription links and uh, interact with us there on the site as well. You can get in touch on makethedoughrise.com and schedule a 15-minute call with Brian to talk about your own situation. That's makethedoughrise.com. And if you just want to go straight to the phone, you can always pick up and call Brian at 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. Brian, the old phone number, what we call these days the old-fashioned way of getting in touch, but good to know it still works a little bit that way, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and Walter, let me just interject too. If it, I actually have some calculators that if you know your social security benefit, or if you've gone to ssa.gov and you've downloaded a recent copy of your social security benefit, they will have a projection of your FRA, your full retirement age, and you'll, they'll have a projection of what your benefit will be at your full retirement age. If you have that number, your date of birth, your spouse's benefit, date of birth, I have some really spiffy calculators that we can put those numbers into and it will run and calculate multiple claiming strategies. So then you can compare, hey, this strategy will generate me the most lifetime income. This one leaves the highest uh, spousal benefit, uh, survivor benefit, and that really sheds some light on, on social security claiming strategies. So if you're at all thinking about picking up the phone and calling or going to the, the website and book a, a 15 minute call, if you've got that information handy, we've got some great calculators to help get started with, uh, with tackling this issue. Very cool. Awesome. And uh, so helpful. Again, go to makethedoughrise.com to get in touch and schedule that time to talk with Brian. And you can also give a call to 706-451-9800. Well, Brian, thanks for the help on today's show. Enjoyed learning a little bit about the uh, history of Social Security, uh, in addition to some of the problems and potential solutions as well. Very informative. And we'll look forward to another great show with you next time. Sounds great. Thanks, Walter. All right. For Brian Doe, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time right back on Make the Dough Rise. Talk to you soon. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.